This is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Well, hello, hello, gentlemen. Welcome back to part two of our jazz rock star discussions. What's up, Sailor? What's up, Doing guys? Good. And we have back in the studio once again with us Mark Gillespie from the Whiskey Cast. Yay! Hey, What's up, Mark? Having fun. Living the dream. Living the hell yeah, living the dream in our basements. <laughs> living the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. quarantine dream. Oh god, I need another sip of whiskey. <laughs> All a right, quarantine. so quarantine. No, so we're gonna bypass all the usual um, stuff so that we can get right down to the meat of the discussion. Um, we left you off last week. After we uh, talked about the whiskey cast and how Mark got that started. And then I did my whiskey pairing, if you remember, with the Red Breast 12. So hopefully if you've run out, you've grabbed a bottle of that. I know you do. I know you listen to every single freaking thing I say. So uh, open that bottle. Let's hear your cork pop. That wasn't very good. It's too full. That's too full. This was my birthday bottle. It's very delicious. Um, yay. And uh, we, I kind of weaved in a little bit of a teaser of our jazz discussion into my whiskey segment, but we're going to get into that tonight, and I'm really excited. Are you guys ready for this? I'm ready for some jazz. I'm jazzed Hell yeah. up. Oh, oh, are you nice. jazzed up? Do you have your jazz hands ready? So we all have delicious whiskey in our glasses. Now it's time to talk a little bit about jazz, shall we? Let's do it. Bring it on. Okay, so if you don't know, jazz is a musical style that originated at the beginning of the 20th century in African-American communities in the southern United States, specifically a lot of people say New Orleans, mixing African music and European classical music traditions. Jazz spans a period of over 100 years, encompassing a very wide range of music, making it really difficult to define. Jazz makes use of heavy improvisation 
improvisation, I can't speak, polyrhythm, syncopation, and that swing note, as well as aspects of European harmony and American popular music, like the brass band tradition, and blue notes, um, which is considered an African-American style, just like ragtime. So intellectuals around the world have hailed jazz as one of America's original art forms. I would tend to agree. So, Mark, I have picked out a few, like I said earlier, rock stars in the genre. So we're going to kind of span the time and we're going to start with Duke Ellington. So Edward Kennedy, Duke Ellington, born... uh, 1899, like I said earlier, um, he began taking piano lessons very young. He got the nickname Duke because he was a very fancy man. Uh, All of his friends thought that he walked around oh so fancy, and uh, so they started calling him Duke. Um, He held court at the famous Cotton Club and really made the Cotton Club famous um, in Harlem, and uh, that's really what that's that's really the time period he's most known for. Um, he also would go on to be an actor in many movies, and he was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. So, Ed, if you would please play a clip of uh, our Duke Ellington to give everyone an idea of how we're starting off this jazz discussion. Don't mean a thing. If you ain't got that swing It don't mean a thing All you gotta do is swing Makes no difference if it's sweet or hot Just give that rhythm Every little thing you've got So that gives you an idea of the sounds of Duke Ellington from that Cotton Club period. Um, So next up, I want to talk, we're going to talk, I'm going to group a few of these guys together and then we'll talk about them. I want to bring up the famous Louis Armstrong, also known as Satchmo um, or Pops. Um, He was born in 1901 in New Orleans. Um, and was a resident of Queens, New York for a very long time. Shout out to the hometown. Um, So he was an American trumpeter, a composer, a vocalist, and a very famous actor. Uh, Many consider him the most influential figure in jazz. I would say that, I would agree with that as, I think if you think of jazz in your head as a male musician or, or person, you're going to think of him first, I think. Um, and his career spanned five freaking decades. Um, and, and, you know, all of the big errors in jazz history, he was there. Um, and he was inducted into the rhythm and blues hall of fame. One of my favorites, if you want to talk about movies with him is him and Shirley Temple. Um, that's some of my favorites. So, uh, Ed, just to give everyone, again, an idea of where we're at in jazz, would you please play that track?
song reminds me of the cartoons from the 70s and 80s. I feel like correct. We yep. like kids our age, we got so much we got really great introduction into jazz through a lot of the Looney Tunes cartoons. Um especially now, now Oh yeah. Wait Tom a and second. Jerry. Yes. Remember that in the Armstrong piece there, remember that trumpet solo at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you see that? Think about this for a second. Imagine that as a guitar solo. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. That's where I'm, that's why I, that's why there are these connections between jazz and metal and rock. Imagine mm-hmm. that trumpet solo as a guitar solo by somebody like an Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has the same weight to it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same it's different instruments, but I, I know there are metalheads out there that are going to scream when they hear this, but y'all didn't invent the stuff. No, for sure. So it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, there are similarities and there are comparisons that you can make. Mm-hmm. And people who love metal and would never think of listening to jazz, but if you think about it for a second, you listen to that trumpet solo. Imagine that on a guitar and think about it for a second. Well, I guarantee you, Mark, that most of the people that the metalheads look up to have some background in jazz. Oh, yeah. Or, up classical. or parents yeah. listen I mean, to jazz. Talking, I'm talking well, to the, guy, the folks who yeah. haven't thought about this and just... Of course, yeah. Basically, have had too much headbanging and <laughs> haven't thought... Of, you know where I'm going. Don't look past a certain point. Yeah, I got you. But some of our our favorites, like Cliff Burton and and um, Randy Randy Rose, Rhodes, I mean, yeah. we, we talk about their classical yeah. backgrounds, and oh, you yeah. know, especially Cliff Burton, he was more interested in like in in like funky jazz blues mm-hmm. stuff, and didn't even want to leave to go play with Metallica at first. Yeah. Um, so just yeah, super 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 interesting. Um, and and one of the most famous pieces. Uh, I wanted to start off with it with his horns first um, was Hello, Dolly. I mean, I think that's the one song everybody, everybody knows for sure is Hello, Dolly. Um, And my fate. So Hello, Dolly is one of my favorite songs of his. I I danced as a kid and so did my sister. And, you know, you always have to do tap and jazz before they let you like decide you don't like it um (laughs) and of course we did hello dolly so i have this like specific tap routine i can still remember the hello dolly but then i know what ed and matt are thinking are there videos of this (laughs) thank god it's before those days thank god my parents were technological idiots because we don't have film or no my mother barely took pictures of us yeah um but when I got older and I and I saw Carol Channing do Hello Dolly, that is my if I could have grown up to be a drag queen, I would be I would be uh, Carol Channing 100 percent all the way. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just do the YouTubes. Carol Channing does Hello Dolly. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> That we could go down a rabbit hole right there with that, but we won't. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, let's um, go to Wes Montgomery, who I talked about early on. Mm-hmm. Um, he's considered by many as the greatest jazz guitarist of all time. 
um, and possibly the greatest jazz musician to ever take the bandstand. That is wow. Um, his inability to read music uh, and his almost lack, total lack of knowledge of written music theory really is what most people, experts say, put him in a league of his own um, because he's one of these prolific jazz musicians that was able to play purely from the feeling and harmonic direction of a tune. So, um, and when you hear his music, it's to, to think about that he didn't read music. Um, Ed, if you wouldn't mind playing the track, it's just mind-blowing. me feel like um, I'm in a grotto in the 1950s sipping on uh, Manhattans in in New York City or LA or something. (laughs) But remember, (laughs) this is coming in the Mm mid-1960s when African Americans didn't have access to music schools and Mm -hmm. formal music training. Mm -hmm. And they were learning on the streets and learning and be, being taught by their elders and being taught by other people how to play. And they weren't getting the formal music education that's available mm-hmm. today in schools or at Absolutely. the college level. So for somebody like a Wes Montgomery to come out of this is even more amazing that he had that talent level and just that natural gift. Yeah. For sure. We considering everything against, that was working against him, too. Yeah. You know? So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's tenfold. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Because Wes grew up in Indianapolis, where I grew up, where I'm from. And back then, it was not a hospitable place for people of color. And there were no opportunities to learn music theory or to learn how to. Uh, you didn't have music education in the schools. You sure didn't have it about jazz. And to have that natural instinct and that natural ability is just absolutely amazing. You know what else is interesting is his time period is so short compared to other jazz musicians. So his years active is 1947 to 1968. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's such a short period of time. But when you listen to his body of work, I mean, it's, you listen to it. It's just one of those things like his, his finger picking and just, it's just, whoa. And it sounds very, um, in a lot of, it sounds very ahead of its time. In my opinion, I feel like you could play that track that we just listened to, you know, is, is relevant now. I don't think you would necessarily look back on that and go, Oh, that's a, you know, really old timey jazz song. And and that's what was Mm -hmm. so interesting about him as well. It has done, does have a bit of a timeless quality to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So we have Art Blakey next, who was an American jazz drummer and band leader born in 1919. He made a name for himself in the 40s in the big bands of people like Fletcher Henderson and Billy Eckstein. Um, He then worked with the bebop musicians like Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker, and Dizzy Gillespie, and then created the Jazz Messengers for the next 35 years. And he switched at some point early in his career from piano to drums and he about in the thirties and he tells the story that it happened at gunpoint, which is is awesome. Would you play that track please, Ed? Absolutely. That's whiskey music, whiskey oh, drinking music right yeah. there. Hell and yeah. it's not a surprise that uh, he made the switch from piano to drums because the drummer is really the driver for the whole band. Right. When you look at the big band era, look at Gene Krupa. Oh, God, yeah. And look oh, yeah. at uh, somewhat modern-day 80s, 90s music, and I hate to go pop on you, but Phil Collins was the driver behind Genesis on the oh, drum. Yeah. It's really, yeah. in, let's just say it, Ringo, whatever you want to say about <laughs> Ringo, in terms of the people, Ringo was the driver. That beat was consistent, and he's still one of the best drummers out there. And the drummer really drives the whole thing. It's not a surprise that uh, Art Blakey would switch from playing piano to being the driver of the band with right. drums. Yeah. I mean, well, and his ability to compose was unreal, too. So I think that seems like a natural place from what I was reading about a lot of jazz musicians is they can, like you said, they can they can get on the drums, they can drive the band because they're also typically the composer as well. So they feel comfortable giving up the other instruments, whatever it is that they may first have played, um, so that they can kind of just be the glue and the basis for all of it. Um Remember what I said earlier about giving up control? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you give up control, you get more in the end. Same thing. And I just thought of that. Maybe it's this Imperial that I'm drinking, but uh, <laughs> when you give up control as a composer and as the band leader and let the other instrumentalists perform and give them the freedom to be themselves, you get more out of it in the end. Absolutely. I think, too, that there's one thing I wanted to touch on because we're gonna, we're kind of in the middle of it. So you go from what most people think of jazz in the 20s and 30s, well, let's say 20s, early 30s, and then you hit the big band era. And let me assure you that big band was so risque so metal you i mean we're talking like they big band shows would get shut down they i don't know if anybody ever saw them swing kids is kind of dark but um 
you know, you were they they were sh- having like illegal concerts and stuff where you were dancing to it and playing this big band music because it was just wild. It was considered so wild and so metal at the time. I'm a huge fan of big band music, being a dancer, um, and I used to teach uh, swing dancing for extra money on the side when I was in college. Um, but I, I Once love again, that. We need videos. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, doesn't exist. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I am so happy. I, I'm, I get so happy when I listen to big band. And when I think about, you know, you read about the history of big band and what was going on. And just again, my own grandparents telling me they had to, they wouldn't tell, they never told their parents until they, you know, older that they were going to big band shows. My grandmother was like, oh my God, you would have, she would have been grounded for the rest of her life if they found out she was going, <laughs> you listen to big band now and you're like, what the hell? Um, but it was very metal at the time. And remember, that was one of the first areas where we had real integration. Yes. Oh, yes. the races in terms yeah. of having mixed groups of African-Americans and white performers on the stage at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's look at it this way. You didn't have, before you had a Duke Ellington and a Louis Armstrong, you didn't have much before other that other than minstrel shows for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. In terms yep. of seeing African-American performers on stage mm-hmm. and to see people with talent and people with drive. That was something you did not see at that point in American history. And you need to look at it in that, in that context. For sure. Especially the the cotton club is such a great example of that. The cotton club. I don't know if most people know. I think most people know of the Eddie Murphy, our age, the Eddie Murphy movie, (laughs) but just do a little Googles about the cotton club that it was a white club. Like it, you know, and countless jazz musicians get their start. And if you think about Duke Ellington, you know, like literally being broadcasted and he's running the show, but it's a white club. Like, you're a black musician playing at that club, but you are not welcome to go sit at those tables. I think near the end of it, they, there was tables, if I'm correct, at the back. Um, but you could not, you you were not welcome as a guest, which is ridiculous. But um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so in the 30s and 40s with big band, you see absolutely that integration. It's very risque. It's very metal. It's very... Uh, not cool until the you know war happens and people are just like ah fuck it, um, <laughs> you know. Well, what really happens is that you don't really start to see this real integration until the late '60s, and that's one of the things that you have to give Hugh Hefner of Playboy fame the credit for, because his Playboy After Dark TV shows featured African American musicians. Mm-hmm alongside white musicians on network television in the late 60s at a time when you didn't see that. You Very had, often, before you that, you... see comedians like Dick Gregory performing. Right. And you didn't yep. see... We just didn't see that happening until... Wasn't it The Twist 50s. that was one of the first... I'm sorry, what? The, twi- the Twist, wasn't that one of the first times... Yeah, Chubby Checker. Um, yeah, I remember they... this very well about American Bandstand... Uh, which was filmed very close to where I live here in Philadelphia, where they used to show it, shoot it. And the first time they had dancers doing the twist in the late 50s, 
Dick Clark's producers went just absolutely stark raving bat shit. They're <laughs> like, we can't show this on television. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, think about Elvis. Yeah. Elvis, yeah. Elvis that they couldn't yeah. film him from the waist down, you know? <laughs> exactly. But if you look at the, the 10 years later, you've got folks like Hefner producing shows with African-American musicians on network television. Mm-hmm. And really helping to bring along the movement and as part of the civil rights movement that folks like Wes Montgomery became mainstream because of that. Right. Right. Yep. And same John Coltrane as well, yeah. I would say. Oh so, yeah. Coltrane, and, and Miles Davis. Th- so that's when we start to get into these musicians start to cross into beat, you know, they do swing bebop Coltrane also born in 1926. Mm-hmm. He was a jazz saxophonist and composer and he was in early bebop and what they called hard bop, which I love that. Um, <laughs> he helped to pioneer the use of modes. Don't ask me to explain it. It's a type of scale. Um, and uh, was at the forefront of the free jazz movement. Um, he led at least 50 recording sessions and appeared on so many other albums that it would take forever to list them, but including Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk. Um, and he remains one of the most influ- influential saxophonists in music history. Um, and then we have Miles Davis, and Ed, you can play the tracks back to back. Miles Davis, born same year, 1926, um, started off as a jazz trumpeter. Uh, became band leader, composer, of course, still a trumpeter. He's among the most influential influential and acclaimed figures in the history of jazz and 20th century music, period. I think when you think of modern jazz, and I, I it's he's still considered modern jazz, you think of Miles Davis. I think, again, if you think of jazz, you think of Miles Davis. Um, he adopted a variety of musical directions in a five-decade career that kept him kept him at the forefront of jazz now there's something funny about the track i chose for miles davis so Ed, if you would play the coltrane track track first and then i want to set up the miles davis track <laughs> If you are old enough to have been alive and of TV movie watching age when the Planet of the Apes <laughs> came out, um, if you watch it now, you would be like, what in the holy shit is this? But let me tell you, let me assure you, my lovely listeners, that that was a fucked up movie back then. It was scary. It was dark. It was creepy. Um, and it did not seem hokey at all. Trust me. Um, when you see the damn Statue of Liberty in the water, I just remember being like mind blown. Uh, I was young when these came out um, and had a good friend that her, I think I may have talked about them before. Her father was one of the founders of Blockbuster in the early days. And um had one of these laser discs, but this huge like in-home theater system way before no one had that. 
Um, and so they had it and she was like, oh, yeah, we have this new movie, Planet of the Apes. And so that's how I watched these movies. And I was definitely too young when I first watched them. Ed, if you would play the, the uh, clip, please. <laughs> that was really okay first of all um the only thing you can be doing when you're listening to something like that is ingesting a heavy amount of drugs in my opinion now that's reefer music (laughs) that is definitely reefer Reefer madness music i mean as a musician and an artist that must have been cool as shit to be playing stuff like that at that time it was never been done before i mean it's musically that's like wow i think just i would i i feel like this album is very much like pet sounds when pet sounds came Mm. out people were like what in the absolute fuck and now it's considered like one of the greatest albums of all time and i i think i i like to say these albums are very similar in that like a great analogy actually yeah but kind of in the reverse weirdly do you know what i mean like yeah it came out like yeah wow man and now people are like if i listen i'm like what in the fuck are they doing (laughs) i mean i you know not musically of course but yeah it's like early (laughs) pink floyd kind of it will always always remind me of planet of the apes of course it always gives me that that feeling and that and what a genius matchup too um but miles davis you can literally any type of jazz Pick one of his albums and you'll hear that type of jazz as you go through the timeline of jazz. And that's what's so super cool um, about Miles Davis. Yeah, um, Miles was never afraid to change things up. Never. And change up his style. If you look, never. compare that to the album Kind of Blue, which is one of his yeah. classics. Oh, my God. And it's completely different. One of the things I, I, I use Miles Davis a lot in whiskey comparisons between blenders and blends and single malts. That's so great. <laughs> because blends are like a symphony orchestra where all the musicians put aside their individual talents to come together as one. Yes. And you have this mm. syrupy, uh, classical, dun-dun-dun-dun, uh, stump type of music where they're all playing the same thing and they're all playing in harmony and the conductor's got them all working together. Then you get a single malt that can either be very smooth or it can be like, uh, it can be very smooth, like a Miles Davis uh, from the kind of blue era, or it can be a lot funkier, like the Miles of Davis we just heard. Depending yes. on which distillery it. it is. I love it. You don't allow that distillery character to come out as an individual, as a soloist, compared right. to the blends where they're all trying to play together. I love it. I love that analogy. Yes. So good. 
Yeah, I think Miles da- Miles Davis is like he he embodies like everything and everybody we're talking about tonight, um, in some way or another. Yeah. The next um, rock star that I wanted to highlight uh, was born in 1940. He's an American pianist, keyboardist, band leader, composer, and actor. He was a member of the Miles Davis Quintet, and he's known for redefining the role of a modern jazz rhythm section as one end was one of the primary art is one of the primary architects of the post bop sound. He composed the theme song for Fat Albert, if you're as old as I am. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then there was Rocket. I am talking about Herbie Hancock for all you kids of our age. You you just blew my mind with that uh, Fat Albert. Yes. I I never knew that. Oh, my gosh. This changes everything. (laughs) (laughs) Would you please play Rocket? Here it is. Number one, that is the sound of the 80s. There you go. Number one, right? Can you hear Herbie Hancock story? (laughs) Yes, please. I actually got to meet him. What? Whoa. Back in, oh, I'm thinking probably 2000, 2001, I'm at the, I'm out in Las Vegas for the National Association of Broadcasters Convention. And I'm at one of these events, and I'm trying to remember who it was, who was sponsoring it, but I'm at a dinner. Or in this buffet line for this reception or whatever. And I look down and there's, I'm standing next to this guy and we're exchanging pleasantries. And I look down at his name tag and it says Herbie Hancock, Sony Music. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm thinking, holy crap, I'm standing next to Herbie Hancock oh talking with him. Like, and just one of the normal, nice, most normal, nicest guys you'd ever want to imagine. And we're just sitting there shooting the shit. And waiting for waiting for our chance to get up to the buffet line here to get uh, get some dinner. <laughs> and oh wow, That's yeah, amazing. just one of the nicest guys around. And this was after Rocket. Okay, and you'd think he could be pulling all the diva crap. Oh sure, oh, sure yeah, right. yeah. but he yeah. wasn't. That's so standing awesome. in line for the buffet like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah line, right, like everybody else. I don't think people, and that includes our, my age group, I didn't realize what a, now funny, one of my chorus teachers in like middle, it must have been either elementary or middle school was a big Herbie Hancock fan and just was like crazy about this guy. So I remember him telling us like that he was this like very influential jazz musician and we should know him more than just the Rocket album and blah, 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 whatever. But I didn't know much about him and didn't realize who he really was. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense now when you listen to that Rocket album. First of all, that didn't seem like a risk for him. But if you don't know him, what a risk. Oh, yeah. I would think like, oh, a jazz music, like 
a synth band. Okay, but he was a jazz musician that was like, Mm -hmm. just trust me, let me do this shit. Well, he could, right? Because of who he was at the time. And I had no idea. And one of the first things I learned when I was in grade school, I think, or middle school, one of the songs we played, one of his classics was Watermelon Man. Yes, Watermelon Man. And we played that song in middle school in band class. But who knew it was the same rocket guy? But, you know, like I would have never imagined. Yeah, but you saw the H. Hancock on the credit on on the sheet music. And then still wouldn't put it together. 15 years later, he's doing Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Fat Albert song and Rocket, I wouldn't have guessed that either. I had no idea. Um, So I just thought that was another really cool rock star for sure in jazz. Yeah. um, To bring up. Um, And then my next one uh, is I don't want to leave the ladies out. Um, And the only reason really the ladies were, I, I kind of didn't include them as most of them. Unfortunately, of the very, very well-known ones were mostly vocalists. There were plenty of female jazz musicians, but not very, very well-known. And I'm just trying to stick to, (coughs) excuse me, like the top of the category in this. Um, I'm going to talk about a beautiful lady who was born in 1971. She's a singer, songwriter, record producer, and actress. Her music is categorized now as neo-soul, R&B, and hip-hop. She definitely a thousand percent belongs in the jazz category, and she is Erica Badu. Ooh. Ed? Oh, yeah. I love her. The yeah. minute I heard her, it was right when she came out. Thank God I'm a New Yorker. Um, oh my God, uh, obsessed with her. I feel like she can do no wrong. I love her sound. I love what she brought to that time period in the mid '90s or early, early. I guess it was early, early to mid '90s. Um, just bringing jazz back into music, and then. All of a sudden, you heard there was a lot of other pop artists that were bringing jazz back in. You had Diggable Planets, um, bands like that. But I just adore her sound, and I love uh, I love what she does as a composer as well. You're so gonna I definitely want the most her. the most underrated thing she's done in many years. You're gonna laugh, but go back and watch the movie Blues Brothers 2000. I know. <laughs> You know the song where she does Funky Broadway with the Blues Brothers Band? Yeah. You know the song I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, she nailed it. She does. She's amazing. That was was first class. Every step of the way. I love her. Um, So the last uh, artist I'm going to highlight, and then I have a little short list that everyone should go listen to, is... um, a very, let's say, current uh, jazz musician who is uh, another Mozart, another Beethoven, I would say. He was born in 1980. 
Mile Mosley. He's an American, Miles Mosley, sorry. He's an American vocalist, upright bassist, composer, arranger, and music producer. And his parents did name him after Miles Davis. He's classically trained and has studied with just about every top jazz musician in the world that was still alive when he started playing. He got his start in 2005, and his style has often been described as this, and this ties it all together, my friends. It's as if Jimi Hendrix played the upright bass in Prince's band. You're welcome. He has played with... (laughs) Very interesting. He's played with Common, Lauren Hill, Jeff Beck, Joni Mitchell, Most Def, Chris Cornell, and many, many, many more. Please play that clip, Ed. Upright bass. Yeah. That's a freaking upright bass. Do you hear that picking in oh there? Oh my gosh. That's Jeez. insanity, right? I can legitimately say I've never heard anything like that before. No. Nobody has. No That's yeah. why I can see, I why, I can see why everyone wanted to work with him. That's too. amazing. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he is like, and he came out of the womb like that. His parents said basically. <laughs> Does this guy drink whiskey? He should. He, he should. should. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd buy the guy Dram. Me too. I'll buy yeah. the guy a bottle. Shoot. He is yeah. incredible. Incredible. So uh, Miles Mosley, uh, definitely give him a listen. Um, and you can catch him live and you can catch him playing once this is all over, um, which is a wonderful thing to be able to see some of these artists live. Um, and then I have a little list for you guys. Max Roach. Um, Lee Morgan, Freddie Hubbard, of course, Billie Holiday, but read a little bit about Billie Holiday. She was much more than just a vocalist. Elvin Jones, Charles Mingus, of course, Charlie Parker. Um, I did not intend to leave him out. Ella Fitzgerald as well. The two of her and Billie with their arrangements. They, they were genius, geniuses at arranging. Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans. Uh we just didn't have enough time to cover all of Can them. Can I add one so, to that list? Sure. Dave Brubeck and the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Amen. Okay. And Pat Metheny. Can't forget Pat Metheny. Well, I, there's a million people we could have listed. And the to- reason I was introduced to Dave Brubeck, I don't know if you all are, from, uh, Sailor and Matt, I know you are, uh, but Mark, are you familiar with a YouTube channel called Polyphonic? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They did a story on how... Uh, Dave Brubeck changed jazz. Mm-hmm. Mind blowing. I don't yeah. know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, or our listeners, Big go check it out. Classic jazz album of all time. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, that's jazz for today. Uh, that was a lot of fun going down a whole different rabbit hole than we normally do. I don't know about you Absolutely. guys, but. I had fun researching, I had fun listening um, and jamming out with you guys. 
Um, and of course, thank you so much, Mark, for being with us and hanging out and shooting the shit. Hey, thank yes, you. Thank you. you. Anytime you guys want me to come back, let me know. Awesome. Oh, now you're oh, hell now, yeah. you, now <laughs> you've done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Because this is fun. Good. I'm so glad you had fun. That's that's the aim here, right? Just to have a lot of fun. I'm stoked so, to listen to some jazz now. Yeah. 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 Yes, For real. I want to listen to more some more of that miles. I mean, that that's good stuff. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> so um Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Please stay home and stay well. Yes. Matt, take us out of here. All right, Sailor. Thanks for sticking around, listeners. We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did, as much as we always do. Uh, and as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Metal Rock and Whiskey. And also, we have a super cool Facebook group, for those that don't know, under Spirit of Rock Podcast Network. A lot of great content from all the shows on the network. And you yes. can follow us individually. You can find me on Instagram at the Whiskey Obsessor. Obviously, that is whiskey. Save the E. Sailor. I'm Sailor Retro all over the dang place. Ed. Before we get to me, how about Mark? Where can we find you, Mark? Just look for Whiskey Cast without the E and with the T on the end, not K, but cast as in <laughs> cast. Thank you for that. There you go. All right. There you go. <laughs> And they can always find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And hey, listeners, if you love us or even just like us, and I don't know how you couldn't like us after that discussion, please yeah, right. hit that subscribe button. Give us a review because it really does matter to us. And of course, tune in next week for another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. I'm going to skip the fuck you, Lars, to make some. <laughs> I'm in a good place. <laughs> Later, everybody. Bye.